Thanks for joining us for Truth Encounter as we continue to discover things buried in the ancient Old Testament book of Deuteronomy that are powerfully applicable to our challenge today. The modern seculars wants to teach us that there is no morality in history, that survival alone is the key, and that power is the way to do it. But is this truthfully what history teaches? For example, did the Nazis go down in defeat because they were less powerful than the Allies? Or was there a supernatural hand that was furious over the destruction of six million of his people? Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he shows us from Deuteronomy chapter 28 that for both individuals and nations, there are consequences when we break God's standards. Modern thinking says there's no moral rhyme or reason in history. It just happens. In fact, they'll cuss and say, blank happens. That's where our whole society is. Our society believes that there's no morality to this thing, that there's no story behind it, there's no right and wrong. Moses is saying something completely different. He's saying in the, wrong, in the, in the long scheme of things, there is morality. And that nations, and specifically in chapter 28, the nation of Israel, if they follow the moral principles founded in the Ten Commandments, they'll be protected from their enemies. And the second part of the chapter, he says, if you turn away from that, then you're going to perish, you're going to be destroyed. And that principle is laid out from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And we need to think very seriously about it. He says the Lord's going to give them the victory over their enemies. In verse 8, he returns to domestic prosperity. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to do. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord your God, in verse 9, gets into the explanation of what's the essence of this blessing. He says the Lord your God will establish you as his holy people. Now, if I were to say to you that the Lord wants to establish you as his holy people, what do you think about in fact, I, if, if I was speaking to about 500 teenagers now instead of a mixture and I were to tell them, he said, God's plan for you is to make you a holy people, I just really don't think that that would be that motivating. You know, the idea of being a holy people, when I talk to American audiences about holy people, they think of the most boring, the most incredibly um, restrictive it's kind of, you know, like being locked into, a, into some kind of a cage or something. Holy? Who wants to be holy? We think of holy as being long robes and choirs, and we think of it being colors on backwards. We think of it related to celibacy. I mean, all kinds of things relate to our English word holy. Well, in Hebrew, the word holy, when God says, when God says that he wants us to be his holy people, it's like this. How many of you girls... When the guy that you had had your eye on for a long time, I mean, you really wanted him, something had clicked in your heart and, and you really felt that he would be good for you and that you were in love with him and you felt he would pr provide for you. How many of you, when he finally got up the courage and overcame all of that hesitancy and he finally got down on his knees before you and says, will you marry me? I want you to be my wife. I want you to be my one and only wife. Be careful if he says, I want you to be one of many. But he gets anything and says, I want you to be my one and only wife. How many of you girls that are married now said, yuck, whoever wants that? Who wants to be exclusively set apart for him? That's a real bummer. That's not what I want. 
Is that how you reacted? Well, if the guy was a bum, that's probably the way you reacted. If he was, you know, a nerd, but be careful of nerds because they grow up to be computer geniuses and you might do really well with a nerd. The word holiness relates to God coming to you and saying, I want you to be mine. That's what holiness is about. God says, I want you to be set apart for me. That's the heartbeat of holiness. And I want you to just capture that. It blows my mind even talking to you about it again. God is saying to the nation of Israel, from a national perspective, you're going to be my nation. I'm going to possess you as a nation. You're going to be set apart from me. When the God of the universe says, you're going to be exclusively mine, that's not a bad deal. And that forever changes your life. And see, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ throws open the doorway and Jesus Christ says, we're not going to just let Jews be exclusively the people of God, but man, we're going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and everybody that wants to believe can become exclusively his. And that's what holiness is all about. In fact, that's what a changed life is all about. It's understanding that the God of the universe is, in, is incredibly in love with us and passionately involved with us. And he's the ultimate source of blessing, the ultimate source of good. He wants to make us exclusively his. Holiness has to do with being exclusively his. And Moses told the ancient people, I want you to be exclusively God's. That was Israel's big problem. They said, no, we don't want to be exclusively God's. We want to be like everybody else. And that's what became their downfall. That's what brought all the pain and degradation the rest of this chapter. The Lord says, I want you to be a set-apart, exclusive people. If you keep the command of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, in verse 10, then all the peoples on the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will fear you. They'll reverence you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young. And then he goes back and forth, what we've been talking about. He just drives it home. In verse 12, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. He'll send rain on your land in its season to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow from none. That's an idea of, of if you borrow, if you're a debt society, you're, you're enslaved, and, and the Lord is telling his people through the prophet Moses, no, if you follow the commands of God, you're going to be the one that has the money to loan. You're going to be the head, not the tail. You're not going to be enslaved, you're going to be free. There's a lot of principles that we can learn in our own lives as believers about those about how debt can enslave us and how if we lean upon the blessings of God and let him provide for our needs, we'll not fall into that. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Now, you're on the plains of Moab. You are an Israelite listening to Moses. As you hear Moses complete those blessings, what decision are you going to make? What decision are you going to make? What are you going to believe in? How many of you think the good deal here is to obey the commands of God? Think that's a good idea? How many are you going to sit there going, after I hear Moses preach, who wants to follow a God like that? I mean, if I follow him, we're going to have abundant family life. We're going to have abundant business life. We're going to have abundant agricultural life. We're not going to have the earth cracked wide open in droughts. We're going to have incredible blessing. Who wants to follow a God like that? No, none of you would think like that. You'd all say, man, let's follow him. Let's love him. And I want you to get that deep into your soul. This thing called worshiping God and being set apart for him and being in love with him is really what life is all about, contrary to what everyone is saying. 
God is the one that produces happiness. God is the one that produces blessing. God is the only one that can sustain our life. Now, the rest of the chapter is a lot longer. In fact, you can read it later on this afternoon. I mean, it is verse after verse after verse. And you know what Moses does in the rest of this chapter? Moses reverses everything. Because unlike a lot of preachers today that only tell us about the good news, Moses loves us enough to tell us about the bad news. You know what he tells us? If you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, if you want to be like everyone else and you go and follow other gods and you live for other things, then what Moses says is this and this and this is going to happen. And he describes some incredibly ugly things. As we read through the rest of the chapter, he says, number one, God will shut off the rain. In other words, the rain will stop. There's not going to be abundant crops, and the, and the earth will crack wide open, and then you're, there will not be any bread that you can need. There's not going to be the smell of loaves in your oven. You're going to begin to starve. He says your domestic peace, your domestic tranquility is going to be taken away. He describes one thing after another. You know what else he says? He says, if you don't obey the commands of God, another major area, in fact, there's, there's like, it's like three crescendos in the rest of this chapter. Three crescendos of God bringing incredible plagues. Remember the Lord delivered these people from Egypt with plagues? And some of those plagues were boils and disease. And what God said, if you don't follow my moral commands, then diseases will spread throughout your people. And the Old Testament doesn't make a lot of careful distinctions between the fact that God is ultimately sovereign, and yet it often presents God even being the agent of disease. Now, as we put together the whole Bible, the Bible does not say that God directly causes illness or directly causes death. Because in him is life and in him is no darkness at all. But what you've got to realize, and I want every one of you to understand this, if you let go of the source of good, if you let go of the source of health, if you let go of the one that can bring you prosperity, if you turn away from him, where have you turned to? You've turned into destruction. And it's very important to understand that. Moses warned the people throughout this whole book. I can illustrate this point about disease graphically to you. I wrote an article for the uh, Christian Counseling Journal. It's called The Joy of Healthy Sex. And I close that article by talking about Dr. Brand, who is an older man, and he shares about how he's been devoted to his wife, and he talks about the, the blessing of children in their life. He talks about the, the pleasure that the Lord has given him. And then he says an incredible statement. He said this. He said, you know, I've never worried about AIDS. I've never worried about venereal disease. I've never been plagued with any of those things. Now, that's an incredible, obvious statement. And I close the article by saying something like this. I do not know of a society in history, and I challenge you to find one. I do not know of a society in history that destroyed itself because their ideal and their value system was monogamous, heterosexual love. Find me a society in history that fell apart destroyed itself, wrestled with all kinds of venereal disease that stressed monogamous heterosexual marriage. Do you know that Shakespeare's plays, some of the major things in Shakespeare's play relate with the problem of venereal disease and the promiscuity? And what Shakespeare does in some of his major plays is he tries to, he tries to ensnare a society back into monogamous heterosexual love. 
And that's where he tells all those stories about the intrigue and the romance between men and women and, and all the parts that they play. And then he resolves his story with a great marriage at the end. You know why Shakespeare did I know that when you're in English class, it's all boring. But you know why Shakespeare did that? Because his society was dying from venereal disease. They were going over to Florence and going over to cities in Italy and they were being destroyed by syphilis and they were being destroyed by venereal disease. And as a great artist, even though he might have been involved in some of that behavior himself, he realized we can't sustain a people like this. And he used his artistic talent, unlike many of our Hollywood producers, he used his artistic talent to describe reality and to try to snare people back to purity, to commitment to their marriage. And he wrestled with some of the, the hard issues internationally and nationally and socially in order to make that happen. It's the same thing Moses is talking about. Moses is saying, if you're immoral, you increase your risk of dying. And then Moses says something incredibly bad. He says that internationally you're going to be defeated. And Moses told the people on the plains of Moab, he said, if you disobey the laws of God, you're not only going to lose domestic tranquility, but you're going to lose your international tranquility. In fact, things are going to get so bad as the chapter moves towards its great climax, Moses describes one of the ugliest scenes in the Bible. He describes a woman who is angry and she's mean. She used to be a woman that dressed in beautiful clothes and wore beautiful dresses. In fact, she was so wealthy that her feet never touched the ground. Everywhere she went outside, she was carried in a big caravan and one of those things that servants would carry on their shoulders. But now this woman is dressed in rags and she's clinging to something that's ugly and something that's polluted and something that's dirty. But she won't even let her husband have it. She won't even let her children have it. She won't let anybody have it. She's going to eat it herself. It's, it's her afterbirth. That's what Moses actually says in this chapter. In fact, she has dead babies that she is keeping that she's going to eat. Cannibalism becomes part of the nation of Israel. Now you say, Dave, why did you talk to us about that? Church is supposed to be a nice place. You see, this isn't just an ancient story. Every one of you have seen pictures on the news. You see little tiny kids that are destroyed. And you think, man, you know, this just kind of happens. Things just kind of happen. Things just kind of go, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the chances of life move against you. No, it doesn't just happen. There's tremendous tribal hatred. And tribal hatred where, where one tribe will just suddenly murder 500,000 people. That kind of violence, what do we call that? Is that just a nothing? Let's just suppose that we suddenly found out in Canada that, that the people rose up and the people from the western part of Canada went and destroyed everybody in Quebec that was near where I was raised. Destroyed all the French. Is that a, just a nothing? Is there no morality involved in that? You bet there is. You see, what does the law of Moses say? Thou shalt not what? Thou shalt not murder. Does it say that? You know what happens when, it, when a society just abandons that and just brutally murders? Starvation follows. War follows. And you know the terrible thing is that little children, little tiny babies that don't even know their right hand from their left hand, get caught up in that vortex of evil. And as, and as a church family, we need to care about that. I want you to discern something. I want you to discern that that does happen just by chance. And I want you to know something else. You take for granted in our own society right now, you take it for granted 
that there's peace and tranquility. You take it for granted that things kind of hold together. But it doesn't. As our society moves away and people do immoral things and people do wrong things, people are hurt. 6.30 this morning, my telephone rang. Person get on the phone, they answer it, and they say, are you awake? That's always the first question. Yes, I'm awake. So you can call at 6.32 if you want. Not all of you at once. But he called at 6.30 and says, Dave, we just returned from the hospital at 3 o'clock this morning. We were coming back from Oak Cliff, right near Jefferson Avenue. And as they were coming back in that rainstorm, suddenly a large vehicle just swerved out, went blasting around them, got right in front of them and died. My friend swerved the car, tried to get out of the way. The car got going again, swerved right in front of them again, and then stopped dead. And my friend was going about 55 miles an hour, just no way they could stop. It was just like being on ice in that new wet pavement after all these months of no rain. Just walloped right into the car, destroyed it. Kids got out. There was open alcohol in the car. And some neighbors said that these guys just a few days ago had done the same thing as somebody else, only this time they threw the people out of a van, hijacked the van, drove all over the neighborhood. When the police came, they drove the van right in. When they saw the police were coming, they drove the van into a telephone pole and then took off running. Now, what I want you to understand is this. That doesn't just happen. When you make a choice that we're going to drink and we're going to drive, that's an immoral thing to do. That's not the issue. We can debate the other issue of alcohol another time. But if any of you kids, if any of you adults, I want to share with you, it's not the kids so much that do this. It's, it's adults. If you drink and you drive and someone gets hurt, it didn't just happen. It's not just probabilities. There's morality involved in that. Foolish choices were made. And what I want you to see is that people get hurt. That's what Moses' point is, is that people get hurt. Now, a lot of people get angry with you. When a preacher says, listen, if you disobey the moral commands of God, you're going to get hurt. Everyone gets mad. In fact, it reminds me, I was a chemistry major back in college. And one of the experiments we did was, was called the sulfonation of toluene. Now, don't get hung up with a chemical reaction because that, you, don't, you need to understand it at all. But we were going to do this experiment. And I got all the class together because I was a lab assistant. And I explained to them, we are going to do the sulfonation of toluene. Now, toluene's not quite like gasoline, but it's kind of like gasoline. And you need to be very careful. We're going to put this in this beaker. And we're going to heat this stuff up, which I never understood, over a Bunsen burner. And we're going to pour sulfuric acid in it. And if you do it all just right, we're going to attach this sulfide group onto the toluene. That's the sulfonation of toluene. Now, you need to be very, very careful. Don't let any of the toluene pour over the outside of the beaker. Stir it very carefully. If you do this wrong, there's going to be disaster. Somebody raised their hand and said, why are you belaboring the point? Why do you keep telling us to be careful? Why do you tell us not to spill the toluene? Why do you tell us to watch what we're doing when you're stirring it? Because I'm mean and ugly, and I want to be hard on you as students. That's the way Americans think. So here I've got about 50 kids in Houghton College doing this sulfonation at Halloween. One of the girls, stirring a little bit vigorously, drove her glass rod right through the bottom of the beaker. The Halloween, with loaded with sulfuric acid, hit the flame, 
blue sulfuric acid all into her eyes. And I ran over to her. I grabbed her. I threw her down at the end of the bench. We had eye watches there. Put her head down in the eye watch, and I just flooded her with water. Man, I drowned her. Why? Because I'm mean and I'm vindictive and I just love to grab girls by the hair and ram them into the, into the water trough, right? Kind of like John Wayne. No. We had seconds. We had seconds to protect her eyes. And by the grace of God, her face got burned pretty good, but by the grace of God, we got all the acid out of her eyes just like that before she got hurt. It's kind of a funny story. My friend, everything was on fire. It was a brand new lab. My friend got the fire extinguisher out, and he thought it was great. Turned it on, and man, blew glass and everything all over the room. It was a gigantic mess. What I've told you is it's like I've lectured you like that lab. I've told you that life at times is like the sulfonation of toluene. And as you go out into life, there's some very careful instructions that I want you to follow. There's some very careful instructions about right and about wrong about things that will produce blessing and you'll be able to do it skillfully and there's some things that will just burn the living daylights out of your life. That's what Moses is telling the people. I want you to think very hard about it. Contrary to what so many people say in our society, I entitled today's message, Consequences. There are consequences. When my lab student didn't follow the instructions, there were consequences. And by the grace of God, the consequences weren't quite as bad as they could have been. But they could have been very, very serious. From the depths of my heart, I want you to think through about your own life and I want you to realize that there are consequences. But I want to close with this. You know, every one of us are going to face those consequences because none of us fully follow the directions, do we? What's the history of Israel? Which side did they follow? Did they follow the blessing? Or they follow the cursing. The whole history of Israel, and don't be too hard on them, because it's my history too. I know that I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't do that, and I shouldn't do that. But you know what I do? I do the wrong. And that's why Moses, as we get further into this message, I can just whet your appetite for it, but as we get further into this message, Moses is going to say, you are going to fall into the curse. And then Moses is going to make a prediction, but there's going to come a new day when you receive a new heart. I trust that every one of you have found a new heart, a new power within through the power of Christ. I have not been talking to you about religion. Please, don't think that we're talking about just coming to church on Sunday morning and and doing a few religious things. I've tried to talk to you about the reality of life. The Jews are real people. Jesus is a real person. Moses' law is a real thing much bigger than any little denomination or much bigger than any little church. You owe it to yourself to find out. Curse under the law. Judgment under the law. Death under the law. But if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things can pass away. Behold, all things can become new. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ can come into your life. It's not religion. Jesus Christ can personally come into your life and you can be born again. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize that it's not an evil thing that you warn, warn us about the acids of life. That you're very careful to tell us beforehand the things that'll burn our eyes out, that'll destroy our face, that'll hurt us, that'll destroy our lives. Father, the evidence is all around us. Breaking your moral principles produces death. And yet, Lord, the part of the foolishness of our human heart is we tend in the face of all the evidence 
to harden our heart and rebel. Oh, Lord, I would pray that you would protect our little children from ever thinking that they can find blessedness and happiness away from you. I'd ask that you would protect our teenagers and our college students from ever thinking that they can escape the consequences of breaking your law. Lord, I pray that you would help our adults not to just have a religious experience without really knowing the person of Christ. And Lord, I'm just so thankful that you've given us the rest of the story in the New Testament. And today we've been able just to sketch out a little bit of this incredible biblical story. And I just ask you, Lord, that you would use today's message to stimulate a lot of thought about the blessing that can be found in Christ, but about the cursing that's found when we reject him and when we reject his moral commands. Lord, drive home Moses' point. If we obey your commands, which we can only do through the new life that Christ can give us, we're going to be blessed forever. But if we reject him and we turn away from him, the righteous, holy judge of the universe says that the wages that pay for sin is death. Oh, Lord, I would pray that everybody would find forgiveness in Jesus alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.